Good morning. It's good to see everybody here. And uh, if you open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, uh, we will read verses 1 through 12, and then we will uh, focus again on blessed are the peacemakers. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we love you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us and you have granted us great and wonderful peace. Father, that you have redeemed us and made us your own is great comfort for these days and these times. Lord, when the rest of the world is in turmoil and fearing uh, viruses, Lord, uh, we fear you. For though the virus can only damage the flesh, Lord, we know that you can take the flesh and our spirits and cast us into hell for all eternity. And so we stand with great confidence and assurance that you are our God and we are your people. And Father, we do not desire to keep this wonderful news to ourselves, Lord. In this time of unrest, the time of uncertainty, the time of fear, Lord, we pray and ask, Father, for opportunities to take the gospel of peace out into our world. But just as we have been redeemed and have become yours, that you, through us, will redeem others in the world to yourself. Father, help us to keep your word before us each and every day, that we may find our strength and our confidence in you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we move into our second study of being a peacemaker, we're talking about kingdom principles again. This is kingdom peacemaking. And so some people take this out of context and they'll use it for soldiers or police, policemen, uh, saying that policemen are uh, peacemakers and are blessed. And uh, But if that was true for this particular context, then all of us would have to become soldiers and all of us would have to become police officers because uh, the promise to that is that we'll be called sons of God. So though it's wise for us as soldiers and as police officers uh, to maintain peace, this is specifically a kingdom principles. It is who we are uh, in Christ. Before we get to actually peacemaking, I think that we have to touch on truth uh, because 
It is truth that is going to establish our, our peace or the way that we go about peacemaking. The first thing I want to mention is that Jesus was full of grace and truth, and that is important for us to balance that and to remember that as we go forward, uh, because if we are uh, strong on love and weak on truth, then we're not going to confront heresy. Uh, We'll hug the devil if he walks in the back door and ask him to join our church. If we're strong on truth and not love, then we become self-righteous and we think, if you don't believe as I believe, then you're not welcome in this church, which means if a new believer who comes in here has just heard the gospel, never heard uh, the, go- the uh, Bible preached, is not going to be uh, f- uh, on the same level that we are who have studied the uh, Bible for quite some time. Uh, James chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, don't be quick to be a teacher because we will have a stricter judgment. And if you study scriptures you will see that Jesus was harder on the teachers, the Pharisees, scribes, than he was on the sinner, right? Because they're held to a higher standard, a higher higher, um, higher standard. And so with this this in mind, as we go and we talk about truth, the first one is absolute truth, okay? And absolute truth is truth that is true for all people at all times in all all places. This is sound truth. Doctrine. This is, this is where we determine on, is this a hill on which to die? And that's very important. When we're talking about fellowship, when we're talking about division, when we're talking about unity, when we're talking about having peace, we need to ask, ask ourselves often, is this something that we are willing to die on or willing to uh, uh, go through as a, as a church? Second is relative truth, and this is truth for some but not for all, okay? Relative truth would be generational truth, generational experiences, preferences, uh, and, and traditions. Are they true? Yes. Uh, are they true for everybody? No. Take, for example, uh, old hymns versus the new music, right? Can, those who are stuck in tradition and and generational truth may say, no, this is, this is how it is. This is how it was. This is how we grew up. This is the way that you have to do it. And you're, and you're cutting off a whole other section of, the, of believers in the body of Christ. Uh, some may say, well, you can only have organs. That's only, the only thing that you can have is an organ. We can't have guitars or anything else, just organs. That's the way, that's a generational. Was it true in the past? Yes, it was. Was it true for your church experience? Yes, it was. Is it true and is it mandatory for the next generation? No, no, it's not. As long as it's uh, um, accurate to the word of God and what we sing, um, the instruments uh, play less of a significant part, I believe. Uh, Another one of those is cultural truth. Cultural truth. There are certain things that are true in America that may not be true uh, in India. Um, if you take an organ from America and put it over into India, they won't, they won't use it. They won't have anybody over there that really knows how to, how to play it. Over there, there's bongos and other kinds of stringed instruments that, that they play. And, uh, and if you take that instrument over there, they won't know what to do with it. And so are the Americans right because they used organs in the past or organs and pianos in the present? Uh, are the Indians wrong because they use different kind of, of instruments? Uh, no, they, they, they wouldn't be wrong. Think about family and, uh, and, and personal truth. 
And this would be truth that you teach your family uh, or fence laws that you may put around yourselves to protect yourself because of your own, own convictions. <clears throat> these, uh, these truths, uh, again, are true for your family but not, might not be true for, for everyone. Uh, I go to India, so I'll use that as an example again. Uh, over there, they eat with their hands. They call it God's spoon. And uh, so a lot of them like to harass me a little bit when I go over there. So I had my, my uh, interpreter. I had lunch, and he said, look, if we go, you're not eating with your spoons. You're eating with your hands. I said, okay, that's fine. I've done, done it before, so I'll do it. And uh, so they get my plate, and they sit in front of me. And, and while I'm eating it, he's, he's jabbing me. He says, uh, stop playing with your food. Stop eating with your fingers. Use a spoon. You're not being polite. Harass me. Now, is it wrong to eat with your hands? Well, in America, yeah, we would say, yes, we shouldn't eat with our hands. And in India, it's perfectly normal. One of the, one of the most interesting things about uh, uh, India concerning this is I went to this real five-star restaurant. I mean, they had, you know, like nice china and, and bowls. They had silverware there if you wanted to use it. And so, of course, it's nice. And I'm thinking, this is nice. We're going to have to watch how I act. And so I'm sitting there eating, my, eating with the uh, fork and the spoon, and some Indians came in, and they went over there, and they just started going with their, with their hands in these nice, nice ditches. It was just kind of you know, out of the ordinary for, for me. Uh, but it, uh, it wasn't for them. Okay? So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 22 says, Paul says, I have become all things to all people that I, by all means, might save some. Well, I, believe it's this, I believe it's this area of... Uh, of relative truths that he was willing to be a part of their culture so that they wouldn't offend them, uh, so that he could be, was able to share the gospel. One of the things that I learned again about India, uh, if I sat in the uh, chair and, and relaxed while I was waiting to preach, and I fold my legs like uh, Champion or, or uh, Robert over here, and my, the sole of my foot, was pointed towards the audience, that would, that would be an affront to them. That would be very dis- disrespectful to them. And I would lose my right to share the gospel with them. And so to be, to be courteous to the culture and mindful, you had to watch where you put your feet and how you, and how you sat. Um, and if you think about our uh, situation here in, uh, in America now, um, there's a, there's a lot of truth. Well, let me say that for the next one here. Uh, number three is assume truth, assume truth. This is truth that you might believe, but it's not necessarily true. It's something that you believe, but it's not necessarily true. Uh, the pastor has, uh, preached through first Corinthians chapter eight and is talking about food offered to an idol. And here is this inf- uh, this person who assumed that is wrong to eat meat that was offered to an idol. Okay, so the older, mature Christian gave up his Christian liberty for the sake of that young brother. Now he assumed it was true, but it was but it was not true. Romans two talks about obeying your call, uh, your conscience. Okay, so what I was getting ready to say before that I'll say now is concerning the uh, the coronavirus or COVID nineteen, whichever one you want to want to want to call it. Um, there is some assumed truth out there, a lot of assumed truth. And we don't know what is really true and what really isn't true, right? So there's some people who assume that this is the, this is the worst thing that ever could happen 
And we see that a lot of people have uh, stayed home today because of that. Uh, some assume that probably that's not really a big deal right now. And there's no worry. And so you just go about your daily routine. Now, is everybody wrong that stayed home today? No. Do we want to be sensitive to what they believe? Yes, we do. All right? Are we wrong for meeting here today? Well, no. All right? I mean, there's a lot of things in, involved in that as far as, uh, you know, obeying your, obeying your government, you know, being sensitive to, uh, to what's being um, expressed out there what's being told us, and then basing our uh, decisions on love and concern for truth as well as loving uh, each other in the, uh, in the midst of that as well. So in Romans 14, 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, uh, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then there's absolute heresy, which is basically f- false belief, uh, or an action that contradicts the word of God clearly and absolutely. Proverbs twenty three twenty three says that we are to buy truth and do not sell it. Buy truth and do not sell it. Okay. Now, it's very important here to understand <clears throat> that you can sacrifice peace for the cause of truth, but you can't sacrifice truth for the cause of peace. Right? Buy truth and do not sell it. Okay, so last week, I'm, I'm, this first point I'm going to go through uh, quickly because this was last week's uh, message. If you're interested in what I said there, you can go back and get the message online. Uh, but this is peace that God has forwarded. We looked at the fact that God provided pre, uh, peace. He provided peace. We looked at the fact that God is the God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Peace. The New Testament is the covenant of peace, and God promised his peace. He says, my peace I give to you. And so he is peace. That's the, that's the number one thing. When it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. Children of God, it doesn't say you inherit the kingdom of God. It says you are the children of God. Uh, it is that the child looks like the father, is what we're trying to is what he's trying to get. You look like God when you are making peace or when you are keeping peace. And that's what we want to be as a congregation. We want to be peacemakers because our God is a peacemaker. He also purchased peace. It says in uh, Colossians 1.20 that God made peace with the blood of Jesus Christ. And it says in Ephesians 2.16 that in killing Jesus, God was killing hostility and enmity. Right? He was coming here to provide peace by killing hostility. And so we should not be hostile towards God, nor should we be hostile towards one another. Uh, then he also prescribed peace. He prescribes peace. Um, it says that we are to receive peace, we are to live at peace, and we are to pursue peace, and then we are to be ready for peace with the gospel of peace. So again, if you're interested in hearing more about that, then you can get last week's message. Now we want to turn to not the peace that we uh, were given by God, uh, not the peace that we are through the gospel to share with the uh, unbeliever out in the world, but how are we to act as peacemakers in keeping peace here as well as how we are to interact with the world when it comes to peace. And so we're going to look at peace towards the, uh, 
peace towards the foe or peace towards our enemies. Okay, one of the verses that we need to talk about is not being imp- or do not be improperly yoked with an unbeliever. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Uh, the highest priority is peace with God. The highest priority is peace with God. So when it talks about improperly being improperly yoked with an unbeliever, does that mean that we don't make friends with an unbeliever? Does that mean that we uh, ostracize people at work because they're an unbeliever? Uh, well, no, we don't. What we need to understand is when is the relationship improperly yoked? When are you improperly yoked? Well, I believe that you are improperly yoked when the friendship to you is more important than the gospel is to you. When your friendship with an individual becomes where you think in your mind, I don't want to share the gospel with them because it will hurt our relationship. They won't want to hang around me anymore or anything like that. Every single friendship that we make outside of the church should be for the purpose of sharing the gospel with them. Looking for opportunity to share the gospel. The most important piece as a peacemaker that we have is to help other people have peace with God. And we are improperly yoked uh, to an employer, to a friend, to a wife, to anybody if we will not share the gospel because we do not want to hurt that relationship. What kind of friend would you be to know the truth, to have peace with God, and allow your friend to go into eternity and separate it from God without the peace that he is offering. And so we are improperly yoked. And so when we go out into the community, uh, we need to be sharing the gospel. Okay, then in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, it says, much as you are able, live peaceably with all. Okay, so it says, as much as you are able, which means that there is a limit to that peace that you have in having peace with everybody. And we need to find where that, where that limit is. Okay, so let's talk about uh, some things that peace or not. Peace is, is not signing a peace treaty. Peace treaties do not work. There's all kinds of uh, uh, monuments in Washington, D.C. about some great, great peace treaties that have been signed in the past. And guess what? There's more than one or two Uh, monuments, which shows that peace treaties do not work. Uh, Peace is not just putting down your weapons. It's not trying to just put down, uh, stop stop the fighting and put down the weapons. It's not just not swinging your fists. That's not peace. Peace is not just ignoring the truth. It's not uh, avoiding confrontation. And one of the the ways that we we handle uh, peace is that we just ignore somebody that is saying something wrong rather than confronting that, that individual. Somebody that is, is causing divisiveness, uh, we just kind of ignore them and act like it's really not there. Uh, I, the first church that I, uh, that I pastored uh, was a real difficult church. There was some immorality and adultery. Uh, the uh, chairman of the deacon's uh, daughter was in the choir. She was married to a gentleman. Uh, the uh, minister of music uh, was a man. He was married to somebody. They, they got interested in each other, ended up having an affair, got divorced, and remarried. Well, it was the chairman of the deacon's uh, daughter, and so they wanted to keep her in the church and wanted him to continue to lead the music. It caused a crazy church split. 
several years before me. It was, I was the third pastor after that pastor that dealt with that issue. My wife didn't want to didn't play the piano and leave the music, and so we didn't have a music minister, and so they're trying to bring this guy back. And you can tell that it was a completely unresolved situation because as soon as the name was mentioned, it causes great animosity and division and divisiveness in the church. And I asked the deacons, I said, uh, I said, why would you want to bring this guy back when just the mention of his name causes all these problems? It wasn't dealt with back then. They just swept it under the table, moved, moved forward, act like it didn't exist, and then guess what? A little while later, it came back again. Right? So if you, if you sweep it under the carpet, listen, sometime that carpet's going to have to be moved. And what does? All that stuff you slept, uh, swept under is coming back. And so we can't, for the sake of peace, just, just ignore the truth or to avoid uh, con- confrontation. Peace rightly, rightly diag- diagnosing the problem and rebuilding it based upon that, that truth, right? Peace is going into the situation, diagnosing the problem, getting rid of the problem, and then rebuilding a new relationship based on that truth. So for us, it is taking the gospel of peace, evaluating the sinner correctly by the word of God, having that individual repent of their sins, and then rebuilding a relationship based on biblical, biblical principles. That is true peace, and that's what we need to be, uh, to be working towards. Okay, so you uh, think about going down to the doctors to get evaluated because something's going wrong in your body. You just feel weird. You're not sure what it is. You get down there, and the doctor says, listen, uh, there's a war going on in your body. There's some foreign substance in there, and you have a bunch of white blood cells, and they're attacking that foreign substance. And that foreign substance happens to be cancer. And so what we need to do to stop the war within you is we need to evaluate the problem correctly. Then we need to do surgery and cut out that cancer, and then we need to allow the, heal, the body to heal based on, that new, based on that new reality. Okay, so if you don't agree with the truth, you don't believe that you have cancer, and somebody says, or the doctor says, yes, you, it, it's imperative that you, that you get the surgery now. We need to go down there right now, and we need to have surgery. And he's trying to put you on the, on the gurney to rush you down there to, to have surgery, and you don't believe him and you don't want it. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to fight him to get off of that gurney. Well, look, go back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, followed up by blessed are those who are persecuted. Okay, if you are a peacemaker... You are going out into the world with the gospel of peace, telling the world that they are hostile towards God, telling the world that they have a cancer called sin in their life. And when you say that the great physician has given us the double-edged sword, the word of God, to penetrate your heart, to remove that sin so that you can have peace with God and peace with one another. If they don't believe that, if they don't accept that, if they don't embrace that, they're going to do some things towards you uh, that are not going to be pleasant. Blessed are those who pursue you. They may slander you, talk reviling against you. Uh, they, may, uh, they may hit you. It may even go as far as, uh, as, as kill you. But that's what we want to do. That's what we're about as a church, as peacemakers, is removing those things that are hostile towards God, hostile towards one another, removing it out of their lives, and then building a new relationship based on, based on that truth. Uh, we, one way that we need to motivate ourselves to be able to do this is to understand that the Lord's enemies are wicked and perishing. 
They are hostile towards God. They are against God. God is against them, and they will perish. Listen, the Bible says that Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. Why did he not condemn? Because they stand condemned already. You see, the Old Testament and the law has condemned the world to death. They're already condemned. Jesus didn't have to condemn. He simply came to to save, right? And so we don't have to condemn the world. The, The world is already condemned. All we have to do is share the word of God, and it will show that they're condemned. And so what motivates us is to understand that they are enemies of God. And they need the peace of God. They need to be reconciled to God. And if we're going to be peacemakers, uh, we're going to be compassionate uh, about helping the wicked to understand that they're perishing. And to do that, again, we go back to Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. We need to show mercy. We need to show mercy. Think of the mercy that God showed us. We don't deserve what we have received in the gospel of peace, right? And so how, again, how selfish is it of us to hold on to the mercy that has been given to us and not be willing to extend that mercy to others for the sake of them having peace with God? We also need to be forgiving in Matthew chapter 6. As we go further in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, what you'll, what you'll find out uh, is that... Uh, the Beatitudes are kind of the outline, and then the Sermon on the Mount is kind of the sermon. And so you'll see, blessed are the merciful, and then later on you'll see an, an exposition of that. Well, here are the, the same, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, well, how are you supposed to uh, uh, react to the outside world? Well, bless those who persecute you. Do good to those who are not good to you. Return good to, uh, with evil. Next, we need to, again, Matthew chapter 5, 43 to 48. Love, pray, and do good. Love, pray, and do good to our enemies. Romans 12, 19, withhold judgment. Withhold judgment. Okay, one of the reasons why uh, we need to respond this way is because we know that people always compare themselves with people. And so while you're acting, they're comparing themselves with you. And so if they do something against you, that is evil or that is wrong, and you respond evil with evil, that gives them all the justification in the world to say, hey, I'm just as good as he is. You don't know how many people I hear when you're out talking to people in the, in the community and, uh, and they say, oh, does so-and-so go down to your church? Oh, yeah, they go down to the church. Well, if he gets to heaven, then I'm surely going to heaven because I know the things that he did. With. Okay, so that, that's going to justify themselves. They're going to say, well, look at him. He calls him a Christian, and he retaliated against me. And so if we think gospel, if we think peace, right, you think about what we're trying to do. We're taking away their hostility toward us, their hostility towards God, and you return evil with good. The, when they compare themselves to you, the only thing that they're going to be able to say is, man, he's pretty nice, and I'm, I'm the bad one. And that's really where we want them to get, that they are the bad one. Because of their sin, their hostility towards God. And the only reason why we respond in that way is because we're no longer hostile toward God and we're no longer hostile towards others. We just want to act as a a peacemaker and we want them to receive us as peacemakers and we want them to receive the peace that we have. Think Think about the coronavirus. You know, the world is, it has no peace. I mean, they're wondering what's going to happen, and they're all concerned, and on and on and on. 
And if you're able to just respond peacefully and act like, you know, hey, God's in control of this thing, and, and they're going to look at you and they're going to go, why aren't you, why aren't you uh, all worked up? How come you're not hysterical like the rest of the world? Well, let me, let me explain something to you. God is the God of peace. His son was the son of peace. He died on the cross to secure your peace. He has given the church the gospel of peace. And I'm just modeling to you God's peace because I want you to understand the peace that you can have. And so this is a great opportunity for the body of Christ, a great opportunity for the church to be in your neighborhood and to minister to those people around you and show how true believers who trust God with all of their heart, no matter what goes wrong, uh, wrong in our world, that God has given us an unexplainable peace that surpasses all understanding, even in the midst of, of this, uh, this virus. Listen. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God is the only one who can be angry and be righteous because he knows all of the circumstances and situations surrounding any given circumstance or situation. And so he's the only one that can righteously judge correctly and he is the one that can exercise his wrath secondly understand that your wrath is so minimal compared to god's that it would be right for you to limit your wrath and allow god's wrath to handle the situation god can handle it without you only thing that you have to do is exercise your desire to bring peace to the world around you. Listen, it is easy to make a friend an enemy, but it is much harder to make an enemy a friend. Anybody can make an enemy. It's much harder to make a friend. God has called us to a supernatural thing because God is in the business of bringing enemies together and making them friends if we are open to his work in and through our lives. So we don't want to make peace with sin. We don't want to make peace with Satan. We don't want to make peace with the world. We want to make peace with God. Let's talk about peace towards friends or peace within the body of Christ. Let's go to, to uh, Proverbs chapter uh, 6. And I want you to see this. Uh, you're probably pretty familiar with this verse, but you may not have seen this because you passed over it too quickly. But this is the first warning that I will give to the body of Christ. Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven things that are abomin abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. If God is the God of peace and he has purchased peace for us, 
And he wants us to live as peacemakers. Listen to this warning. God hates. It's an abomination for the body of Christ to sow discord within the body of Christ. We need to hold our tongues. We need to die to self. And we need to be very conscious of every word that we speak because we do not want to be the one that sows discord within the body of Christ. So how can we sow discord? Well, one is tailbearers. Tailbearers or whisperers. Starting things, talking about things. Trying to get a group of people on your side so that you'll have more people on your side than is on that other side. Creating, creating uh, uh, I don't want to use the word teams, creating enemies, taking up sides, just so you can be right with what you, what you prefer, and we'll get to that in a moment. We don't want to be one that provokes anger. We don't want to stir somebody else up so that they will be guilty of making discord because you will be the one at fault for stirring up the anger, provoking angry, anger in that, other, in that other individual. One of the big things about discord, one of the big problems is self-love. I've always been amazed at the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind, all of your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, God commanded you to love God. God commanded you to love others. And he didn't command you to love yourself, which means that we, per- we pretty much do that pretty good on our own. And that's our number one problem. We love ourselves so much that we will cause discord just because we want our, our own way. A couple, couple of other issues is pride, envy. Uh, think about pride and envy. Uh, I know a church here in, in town. Uh, I'm not sure of the situation now. I know about 10 years or so ago. And they kept running through pastors over and over and over and over again. And I asked one of the, one of the uh, pastors had left because the church split and he went over here. And I asked him, I said, when the world's going over wrong in that church? Why do they keep running pastors off and everything? And he said, there's a deacon over there that went to seminary. He thinks he should be pastor. And so because he wanted the position, every time they called a pastor, they just run him off because he wanted to be the next pastor. God hates those who stir up division within the, amongst brothers. Credulous, Proverbs 14, 15. Do not be credulous. This means to believe all he hears and quick to share it. Isn't that a good warning for us today? Believing all you hear and quick to, quick to share it. Right? You've got you to consider the source sometimes. You know, I've had individuals tell me some things about something that is happening, and I think for a minute, I'm just like, how, is he, how do they even know that? I mean, I mean, they had to really go through a real effort to get that information. How in the world did they know that? So you know what I do? I'm like, well, they probably don't know. They're just saying it, so I'm not repeating it. All right, if you can't figure out where it came from, then, you, then they probably are just, they're just talking, and you don't need to repeat some of the things that, uh, that they are saying. The second warning uh, comes from Matthew chapter 7. It's the sower of the seed. You don't have to turn there, but uh, peace cannot grow in strife. Peace cannot grow in strife, right? It talks about the uh, seed that is choked by the weeds. Remember veggie tales? Remember watching, remember rumor, rumor weed? 
Right? There, was this, there was this rumor that was started. It was portrayed as a weed, and this weed kept growing and taking over the whole city. And the only one that can stop it is the, one of the characters. I forget who it was, but he had, to, he had to come forward and say, listen, I lied. It's not true. And then the, the weed just kind of shriveled up and went back down where it came. But that's really what it's like. When you start a rumor, it's like a weed taking over the harvest. It's, it's sowing weeds amongst the body of Christ, which is the reason why God hates it so much. Because if you're, if you're sowing weeds, guess what? You're doing the work of the devil. You're not doing the work of Christ. And so we need to watch what we, uh, what we say. Let's go over to, to uh, James. James chapter 4. And this is our second warning. Or I shouldn't say a second warning. This is our diagnosis of our reason for quarrels. James chapter 1, or excuse me, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel? You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You are an adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So what causes quarrels? What causes quarrels is your desires. Right? Your desires. I'm not talking about godly desires and wanting absolute truth and wanting the word this is something else this is the relative uh, the relative truth right we have we have to we have to sing out of the hymnals it's unacceptable to sing anything out of anything else other than the in the hymnals that's that's relative truth that's a desire it might be true for you but it's not true for everybody else and that's going to cause a division because of the desire that you have that nobody else has You have this passion that wars within. You want it your way, right? Love others like you love yourself. Biggest problem that we have is we love ourselves too perfectly to the point that we, that we want it our way or no way. And that's going to cause a lot of division. It's not going to create peace. Notice that it says that we are adulterous people if we do that. Listen, Jesus does not want to dwell in a contentious household. Let me tell you, I don't want to dwell in a contentious household. I've already been in a couple of contentious churches, and I don't have a desire to go back there either. All right? when, you, when some of you have younger children, when you get teenagers, you'll understand what I mean by contentious household. All right? They're going to start testing the limits, and they're, not going to, they're going to be hostile towards the parents' rules. And you're going to be, man, I wish they would either grow up and get out or go back to when they were younger and more, more in line with what we were, what we were saying. But it's not pleasant to be in a contentious household. Neither is it pleasant to be in a contentious church. So we want to be a household of of peace. We can look at Ephesians 4.32. We can go over to Galatians 5.22 and look at the the, uh, gifts of the Spirit. Um, But basically being kind, tenderhearted, gracious, merciful, and forgiving. Be merciful and forgiving. Die to self. Get away from those, those selfish desires. 
Let's go back to Galatians chapter 5 for a minute. Uh, because I'm going to look at verse 23, which you may not have, have seen. 5.22 and 23. We know what... Uh, actually be 23 and 24. It says, But the, spirit of the, uh, the uh, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Listen. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If you're going to live in accordance with the Spirit, if you're going to have peace within the body of Christ, you're going to have to put to death the things of the flesh, those, those desires to have it your own way, to be the right one all the time. So how are we going to fulfill peace, the peace that you fulfill? First, I, 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 found, this to be, I found this to be interesting. Men seem to be created for peace. Men seem to be created for peace. Listen, people come back with all kinds of problems from war, but you never see a farmer come back from the problems after being in the field. You don't, you don't see people after a hurricane or a tornado or something like that. You don't see all the problems that, they, that, that, that soldiers have to deal with when they come back from war. Right? There's, there's, a, there's a, a list of things that, that occur just because you're in a war setting that even when you're struggling with other kinds of viruses and things, you don't, you don't come out with the same... Uh, uh, mental disorders and some after you've been into uh, a war. You don't see somebody's going through a, a hurricane that needs to check into Georgia Regional. Won't, won't, not a blanket statement. Some may, but it's not as normal as it is with, say, somebody that's been in, over in Iraq and, and fought for quite some time. And so it seems like we were created for peace, and we're not living in peace and harmony. A lot of things start, to start occurring and start having, happening. So how are we going to live for peace? How are we going to fulfill uh, what, uh, what God has commanded us to fulfill? Well, first of all, three of them, love your neighbor as yourself, consider others better than yourself, and do to others what you would have them do to you. That's the big one. Consider others better than yourself. Consider other person's ideas as better than your own ideas. It's very hard to do. But if we would give up our own desires for the sake of others' desires, you are showing what would be required for us to have peace and for us to show love towards one another. Pray for one another rather than pray on one another. P-R-A rather than P-R-E-Y. P-R-A-Y other than P-R-E-Y. Right, that deacon over at the church that I was telling you about was praying on others because they wanted, he wanted to be in the position that they had and he thought that he deserved it. Well, probably would have been better if he prayed for the situa situation rather than praying on the church and on the pastors that came to town. Focus on virtue, not failures. Nobody is without blemishes. Listen, if you want to find an error in me, it won't take long, I'll tell you. You'll find a blemish. You'll find something wrong. And so we need to focus on virtues, not failures. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace breakers. 
right? Cursed are the peace breakers. It's an abomination towards the Lord to be a peace breaker. Cultivate compassion, not contention. Mark those, Romans uh, 16, 17, mark those who cause divisions and avoid them. Mark those who cause division. Mark those who starts rumors. Mark those who stay negative things. Mark those and stay away from them after you confront them. But if they're going to continue to do it, then then stay away from them. Okay, in closing, think about this. Uh, Think of fellowship. Okay, and then I'm going to twist a little bit. Think about two fellows in a ship. Fellowship, two fellows in a ship. Okay, what are you going to do when you're on vacation and you're cruising uh, on the uh, carnival cruise? Well, you're going to eat together. You're going to go play together. You're going to do all kinds of things together. But what are you going to do when that ship starts going down? Well, you're going to be getting your life jackets on, and you might want to help him get your life jacket on before you put your own on. You might you want to help him into the, to the raft as the ship's going down. You might want to be the last one on the ship before it goes down because you're going to help everybody else to get on before it. There might be a weak swimmer that's stranded. You might be a strong swimmer. You might jump in and swim all the way out there to get that person that is a weak swimmer to drag them back, putting your life on the line so that that person can get to, that you, that that person can get to safety. Listen, we're in the midst of the coronavirus. There's people who are in their homes and afraid to come out. So we, what we should be, those who are healthy and strong and, and uh, perhaps not as afraid of, about the things that could happen, and you might want to go ask one of, the, one of the people that are home, hey, can I go get you some groceries? You need to go to the doctor's appointment? Do you want me to take you to the doctor's, right? It's, it's when we're in these crises that we can begin to shine as the body of Christ by looking for opportunities to keep peace, looking for opportunities to serve, looking for opportunities to help. And that's how the world's going to take notice of us. It's not during the good times that, that people really start noticing the church. It's during the tough times that people start seeing the peace that is within the body of Christ. And so during these days, let's be peacemakers. Let's shine. Let's do as two fellows in a ship would do and go out and help the people during these, during these days. Even if they don't go to our church and there's some elderly person next door, go knock on the door and say, hey, can I run to the store and get you some groceries? Can I go get you some medicine? Or whatever the case may be. And God will be blessed and so will you. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you, Father, that you have created a peace for us that passes all understanding. That even in the midst of this of this coronavirus situation, that, uh, Lord, you give us opportunities to serve as the body of Christ because we do not have the same fear that the world has. Father, help us. Help us to look around us and to find those people in need, those who need help. And help us to volunteer ourselves to whatever that need may be. Father, even if it requires to take somebody to the doctors because they might have coronavirus. Lord, we shouldn't fear these diseases at the expense of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ and sharing your peace to the othermost parts of the world. So let your body shine during these days.
Let us be mindful of the peace that we have, the kingdom of peace that you have provided. And this old world is just passing away, and we're passing through, and we want to take as many people as possible with us, Lord. And so help us in these days. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.